0: I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church. Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. A lot of us are dealing with anxiety right now, whether we're used to dealing with it or not. Anxiety is not exactly a respecter of personality type. Dr. Monique Reynolds is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in the treatment of children, adolescents, and adults who are experiencing anxiety. Here, she breaks down for us the phenomenon of anxiety, how it feels, what causes it, and practical approaches for dealing with it. For example, how do you compartmentalize in the middle of all of this? How do you really pay attention to the ones you love in the middle of frenetic activity or very serious situations? How do you activate gifts that God has given our bodies and our brains to deal with life and even seek grace to grow? We don't know how long we'll be dealing with COVID-19. We don't know how long we'll have to wait, but one key thing about anxiety is that it helps us to see a distinction between what we're feeling and how we're deciding to live in the middle of it.
1: Abigail Woolley-Cutter, and I am here with Dr. Monique Reynolds. Dr. Reynolds is a licensed clinical psychologist who earned her undergraduate degree from Yale University and her doctorate from Virginia Commonwealth University. She completed a fellowship in school-based mental health treatment and assessment with the University of Maryland Center for School Mental Health. She specializes in the treatment of children, adolescents, and adults who are experiencing anxiety and related disorders. She's been in the field of mental health for over 20 years and in clinical practice for almost 10 years. So Dr. Reynolds, I'm so thankful you are willing to be with us this morning in the midst of a really unprecedented
2: health crisis. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a really important conversation to have, and I appreciate that um, so many people are thinking broadly about our health to include the mental health issues that are going on right now for people.
1: So, what are some triggers of anxiety that, when you look out at this crisis and the way it's unfolding, how is this probably activating some anxiety among people? So I would say the
2: biggest anxiety trigger and the the thing that underlies anxiety for most people with an anxiety disorder or not um, it's uncertainty, and so uncertainty is. A very um, difficult thing to process. And there's so much uncertainty in what's going on around us right now. Um, Uncertainty in how long people will work from home, how long schools will be closed. And uh, that urgency to know what's going on in our world and to be able to plan and prepare is really disrupted. And so that's probably the primary Anxiety trigger right now, all the uncertainty.
1: That makes sense. And that would explain why a lot of us are compulsively reading reports by epidemiologists saying, you know, maybe the mathematicians can figure it
2: out for us, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I found myself reading about the genetics of the virus the other day, thinking, you know, what exactly am I looking for? But somehow having the information feels um, like it makes the anxiety more manageable. That makes a lot of sense. So there's a distinction I'm curious
1: about. You work on a daily basis with people struggling with anxiety disorders. But in a situation like the current crisis, many people who don't have an anxiety disorder are nonetheless facing, as you mentioned, these uncertainties and even these dangers that are creating anxiety in um, in everyone as well, or in many people. So how do you think similarly and differently about these
2: two different types of anxiety? Sure. So when we talk about anxiety disorders, we primarily mean um, anxiety that has impeded daily functioning for people. So whether that's in terms of social functioning, family functioning, work functioning, the ability to go about your daily life, and those anxiety disorders usually persist for several months prior to uh, receiving an actual diagnosis contrary to that, we all experience anxiety. The experience of anxiety is universal. And we often say in our practice that it's not the anxiety. Um, Anxiety is a normal, natural part of being human. It's the avoidance of that feeling that creates problems. So to feel anxiety right now is to be human. And um, I think that the idea of finding ways for us to tolerate the experience of anxiety right now is the primary motivation for for folks who are you know not at a clinical level of an anxiety disorder but nonetheless experiencing some really high levels of anxiety that's helpful so when you speak
1: of an anxiety disorder it's not necessarily something that is prompted by an extraordinary uh, circumstance it's not necessarily something that is debilitating throughout ordinary activities or even unjustified it it just has to do with whether it allows you to whether it has crippling effects
2: that's exactly it yeah you you see a lot of people who um you know who experience anxiety as intolerable and they uh shift their their lives around to try to avoid it, you know, staying away from, uh, certain places, staying away from large groups, staying away from, um, certain triggers. And so in doing that over time, your world gets smaller and smaller. Um, what we're experiencing right now is a, um, you know, anxiety would be a really normal, natural reaction to a very unusual situation. So, um, we are all experiencing anxiety and um, and that is part of what it it keeps us safe. It's part of what is keeping many of us inside. And um, because we can kind of abstractly think about these future threats, um, you know, the feeling of anxiety is definitely something that helps us survive and thrive in the face of threat and danger.
1: That makes sense. So anxiety is not all negative.
2: No, we need it. We definitely need anxiety. Um, And in fact, there are, uh, there are, there's lots of evidence about, you know, some, some levels of anxiety being necessary for peak performance and things like that. Um, But when it goes too far or it becomes too chronic over many, many, many months, um, it begins to impede our daily functioning. Thanks. So, what anxiety management strategies do you recommend? So, um, I like to say that for most for most situations that cause anxiety, we're really looking at a marathon, not a sprint. And so, there is no uh, there's no sure and fast way of getting rid of anxiety in any particular moment. But there are ways of sort of managing over time the load that we're carrying. So that we can persist in our day-to-day. And so um, we think of anxiety, uh, we think of any emotion in terms of having three components. Um, One is the thoughts, another is the physical sensations, and the third component is the behavior, what we choose to do. And so when we talk about anxiety management strategies, we really want to look at all three of those components. you know, we all know the, um, the physiological ones. We're all familiar with the idea of taking walks and exercising. And, um, those are really important because when we feel anxiety, there are real physiological, uh, hormonal changes that happen inside of our body. And we need to process those. We need to, um, you know, exert energy and, um, you know, move our bodies to help tolerate that physiological feeling of anxiety. Um, The thought component is often a little more challenging. Um, The thought component is what drives us to compulsively consume news, um, to compulsively uh, check Facebook pages to see who's writing what. We're trying to mentally... um, distance ourselves from the actual thought of what might be going on. Um, And so to calm our thoughts down, we often suggest, um, you know, quiet reflection, meditation, prayer, things that allow you to calm your brain down um, and uh, just sort of rest mentally for a little while. Um, Becoming aware of your thoughts and aware of some of the catastrophizing that might be going on inside of our thought processes. Can you tell me what you mean by catastrophizing? Yeah, sure. So um, so it is um, what our brains are really good at is playing out a situation to identify the biggest threat. So it's likely that many people have had worst case scenario thoughts that have popped into their heads or that continuously pop into their heads. Um, and that worst case scenario of maybe somebody getting sick or, you know, somebody being in the hospital or losing somebody or, um, losing a job and not being able to provide for a family, all of those worst case scenarios are not actually happening in this moment, in the present moment with anxiety, we are actually quite safe. Um, there's nothing going on in the moment. The um, anxiety itself is future worry. And so um, we're worried about the possibility of things happening to us related to the disease and the economic instability. And yet none of these things are actually happening in this moment. But in our brains, as humans, we're able to, um, to sort of create these abstract scenarios these catastrophes, in some cases, that, um, that feel really fearful and that create these fearful responses in our bodies, um, even though they're not yet happening. Okay, thank you.
1: So that's one of the mental uh, habits that we can fall into rather than following the mental hygiene or, or the, the, the care practices of seeking out good thought patterns.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there are a lot of kind of uh, tricks our brains play on us, and um, that kind of catastrophizing is one. Um, black and white thinking is another. You know, negating the positives, only looking for inadvertently only looking for negative information. Those are tricks that our brains will will play on us when we're feeling anxious, and it is up to us to sort of sit back and find a space of more quiet and be more observing of these habits instead of just falling into the patterns without thinking. And then in terms of behavior,
1: what are the behaviors
2: that we can take control of? Those are definitely the things we have most control over, right? So what do we choose to do? And and a lot of people we fall into this into this place of feeling like we're at the whim of our thoughts and our feelings and that, you know, we're sort of Floating around on the surface of the ocean of thoughts and feelings, when in fact we are at our best, we're making our behavioral choices based on our um, values, right? So, what do my values tell me I should be doing in this moment? Is it connecting with my children? Is it um, reaching out to elderly family? Is it trying to find ways to support local businesses? You know, those are ways that you know we can have the the anxious thoughts and feelings, and yet our behavior can really focus in on our values. And that is, those don't have to be dependent on how we're feeling. You know, we always have access to a range of behavioral choices, no matter what might be going on right now. We can't always control how we're feeling or what we're thinking, but we can always control what we choose to do.
1: That makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of How I sometimes heard the word panic being used, especially earlier as this crisis was unfolding, the word panic was thrown around in a way that sometimes downplayed someone else's very rational response. You know, somebody might, an institution might have closed down some of its programming, and if someone called it panic, it... Sort of seems to miscategorize the type of action that was being taken. maybe it was a response that was taken based on values, maybe it was a very a sensible response based on someone's assessment of the circumstances, and yet by using the word panic, it seems to put it in this category that's just sort of emotionally reactive. does that yeah sound like a
2: is that is that what's going on there yeah yeah i th- I think for sure people who you know, it's sometimes hard if you don't share a particular value with someone else to really understand the kinds of decisions and choices they've made. But, but to be honest, I have not seen many incidences of, of impulsive decision-making on the parts of institutions and, um, and some of our, uh, programs or schools, uh, churches, et cetera. There are Um, It seems like there is a definite weighing of competing values and how to serve people best. And so I I agree that categorizing certain things as panic, not only miscategorizes panic, (laughs) panic is actually quite controlled if you um, if you actually know anything about it, but it does invalidate um, what is often a very thoughtful value based decision.
1: Now, I think that sometimes there may be a temptation for people, maybe myself included, to to wish that by speaking with a psychologist who specializes in anxiety, we can sweep away the things that we're afraid of. But no matter how much training and experience you have, you don't have the magic wand to make the virus go away or save everyone's jobs or anything like that. So what can we hope for in circumstances that are out of our control? In other words, from the perspective of mental health, what counts as a good outcome, even if circumstances are grim?
2: Yeah, so that's a great, that's a great point to make. I think uh, as a culture, we often overvalue feeling good over living well. And so I think the, the good outcome in this case, and in all cases really, is living well. And so we can't take away what's happening right now. We can't you know make the make the virus uh, lessen its impact or um, have a real economic impact for folks around us. but we can make choices in our lives to to live well, and again, that goes back to those values in turning to a therapist or um, a counselor or a support of some kind, the idea is um, not so much to make the anxiety go away, but to kind of unpack our boxes and figure out how do we pack them back up better to better carry the load we have right now. And I think that that's an opportunity that people don't often give themselves in the midst of crises like this, that space to process and to look at everything you have going on and with a with a therapist or a counselor or another third party you trust, there is an opportunity to really honestly unpack those things without feeling like you're burdening a, a partner a spouse, a child, a parent. So I do recommend finding somebody that you trust to unpack some of what you have going on. And then, you know, the idea is not that it will go away, but that maybe in the unpacking, You'll see things a little bit differently and be able to pack it back up in a way that makes your next few days a little more manageable.
1: That's a great image. I've heard of unpacking, but not unpacking and then repacking. Yeah, It's almost like the backpacks that distribute some of the weight around your hips so that you don't hurt your back so much. So that's that's a really great image. Maybe we do have a burden that we actually have to carry, but there are better ways of carrying it.
2: That's exactly it. And they, and I have a, um, I grew up in New York city and they used to have these, um, the subway subway poetry. And, uh, and so I would go to heist high school, um, on the subway. And I remember vividly this Robert Frost poem, the armful, and that was the imagery, um, you know, of losing parcels and, Bottles and buns, and um, and then kind of sitting down in the middle of it to repack it in a better load, and that has stuck with me. It's a really beautiful image of you know the reality is that we all carry a load, and yet it's how we choose to carry it that matters.
1: So you deal with children, adolescents, and adults. I'm interested in, in this. What is a healthy way for adults to manage their own anxiety when they have children in their lives? I imagine that we don't want to live in denial but we also don't want to handle our anxieties in a way that might cause unnecessary fear in our children. So what are some healthy ways that adults can handle their anxiety
2: around children? So I would definitely say this is a big one right now. There are a lot of adults who are having really, you know, acute stress reactions because of the virus and the economic impact and And that is something that we need to face and that we need to manage. It's not always something that we can manage in the moment. And so part of what is the struggle for adults and um, should be the goal ideally is to find moments where you're actively problem solving the pieces that can be problem solved and then times when you're putting it away and you're just engaging with your children and that physical contact, the hugs, the snuggles, you know, those are really, um, those actually release, again, chemicals in our bodies that are very healing and soothing. And so this is a great time for hugs and snuggles and cuddles and, you know, and really being present in those moments and knowing that, you know, you've set aside some other time to problem solve rather than having it kind of Ruminate in the back of your mind all day, really being proactive, and here are the pieces that i can that I can do something about, and then here are the pieces that are simply worry, and I need to you know be present with other things um, instead of being present with those worries that's
1: great. the way that you distinguish between problem solving, which is an actual activity that can have constructive results and then worrying and then making time to specifically do the problem solving.
2: Yeah, that's it's it's definitely something that we, you know, there are often things that we can do to to kind of adjust uh what's going on right now. And there are things, you know, it is a good time to sit down with your spouse or your partner um, and talk, have honest talks about financials or to have honest talks about how are we keeping ourselves safe right now. And so those are things that you don't want to avoid talking about, but you definitely want to give it its place rather than having it kind of take over your thought processes all day.
1: I also heard, tell me what you think of this, In uh, an academic mentor of mine told a student at one point who was um, dealing with the anticipated grief uh, of of a grandparent who was passing away but also trying to write a dissertation. And my academic mentor said, schedule blocks of time where you allow yourself to think about your grandmother and then go back to your work. Apparently the work had to continue, you know? And so these scheduled blocks of time where even if this student couldn't do anything about it, at least there was a time when he or she was allowed to think about it It made it easier to compartmentalize.
2: What do you think about that strategy? That's a great strategy. We do it often with uh, children. We call it worry time with kids. And it's a great opportunity to to know that you're giving yourself a place to process some of those things and a place to feel what's actually happening. But again, it's not overtaking everything else in your life, right? There are still very wonderful things happening in most of our lives often on a very personal level right now. And so giving yourself time to grieve or worry or um, feel angry or sad is a wonderful thing to do to kind of carve in that space to process what's going on without any goals, without any idea of resolution to it, but just to really feel it and then allow ourselves to you know, move on from there with the rest of our day, knowing that the next day we'll have more time. It also allows us when it pops up to say, okay, I can put this aside for now because I know I've got an hour later where I'll be journaling or I'll be listening to music and thinking, or I'll be drawing, or I'll be, you know, engaging with those thoughts in some way.
1: Right. So we've been talking a bit about how adults can manage their own anxiety around children. What about the children themselves? Even if kids are normally happy-go-lucky and parents are accustomed to thinking their kids don't have issues with anxiety, what are some signs that parents
2: maybe should be on the lookout for under these circumstances? I think that, again, it's likely that you know, we can all expect that our children are experiencing anxiety. It would be unlikely that they're not impacted with everything that has changed in the last few weeks. And kids will have kids have a much easier time of moving through emotions more naturally, right? As as adults, we almost feel strange if I'm, you know, if I'm so sad one minute, how am I laughing in another? Or how am I going to go, you know, cook dinner if I've just been so deeply engaged in this thought about the tragedy around me? Um, whereas kids don't have any of those preconceived notions, and so you'll see them move through tears and laughter and silliness and anger um, much more fluidly. And so I think the, you know, I think the idea for our kids and how they're experiencing this is to allow them to go through those processes naturally. I think when we see our kids experience anxiety and fear and sadness, there's a natural urge to want to take it away, to want to say, it's going to be okay. You're okay. You don't have to be sad. You don't have to be worried. And In doing so, we're actually giving them the message that it's not okay to feel that way, that those aren't normal, natural feelings. And yet we know they are. As adults, we feel them and we deal with them all the time. And so for kids, the best thing we want to do is, you know, is to give them space to say, hey, I feel worried about this or I don't understand what's happening here and you know, to really allow them to have their feelings.
1: That makes sense. And so maybe we can have access to a therapist if that's necessary. Maybe it's not necessarily uh, the, the approach that we want to or even have the opportunity to take at this moment. So what constructive steps can parents take to help their children if uh, if they are really struggling?
2: Yeah. So um, I would say that setting up routines and structures are really important for kids. They thrive on structure. And so even kids who are, you know, in theory, happy and excited about not being in school right now are still craving some kind of structure. It lets them, you know, very similar to adults, feel as though there's some sense of normalcy in their lives. So I would certainly try to create some structures and rituals and routines, family dinners. I I hear a lot more about people having family dinner right now, which is a great opportunity for families to kind of reconnect. You know, I would certainly minimize um, lots of discussion around the virus and around the economic impact. It's okay to be honest with them and let them know that there is something very big going on. But at the same time, it's also okay to say, hey, for 99.9% of people, nothing happened today. It was just kind of a regular day. So, you know, really couching, you know, not focusing on those negative statistics and, you know, the tragedies too much, but really presenting more of a balance. Some people are going through a really hard time today. And, you know, some people are just kind of spending the day with their families and some people are working. And in many ways, it's a normal day for lots of us. You know, I would also be mindful of kids looking for reassurance and wanting to hear that everything's going to be okay. Um, And again, we have this tendency as parents to want to say, yes, everything will be okay and everything's fine. And, you know, and I think in a way, it's almost better to just kind of notice what's going on for your child in that moment. Like, hey, seems like you have a lot of worries right now. Do you feel like the worries are pretty big? Instead of feeling like we have to answer each thing or fix each thing, just helping our children acknowledge and understand that they're worrying and that they're having big feelings, you know, that's probably the best thing we can, we can do.
1: And sometimes even we can't be confident that all the reassurances are founded, right?
2: Well, exactly. And so even, you know, just in my own house this morning, I had my... My fourth graders, uh, I have have twins in fourth grade and two older children. And so, my twins in fourth grade, I had them write a journal entry. Um, And my daughter actually, it had not come out before this. She's actually been quite silly and funny and, you know, seemingly okay. And then she wrote this journal entry about being scared and wondering what this means for the Easter Bunny and are they going to have Halloween? And, you know, and feeling um, worried about our family vacation this summer and concerned about all the kids who are missing their graduations in college and high school and middle school and elementary school. And so she was having lots of these big, uh, very valid feelings. And, you know, so I I reassured her on a couple of things, but then otherwise just kind of said, you know, you have, you're having a lot of big feelings right now and you're such a strong kid. And I know that you can handle all these big feelings and we can handle them together.
1: That's great. Sometimes just being together with them through those feelings sounds like one of the most valuable things.
2: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm.
1: So speaking of that being together, when I think of uh, my daughter, who is so young, she she's not aware of anything that's going on. She's three and a half months old, and I actually really enjoy how oblivious she is. It's really grounding, even a little bit simplifying to know that no matter what else, I just need to show up for her and give her a normal, happy infancy, and keep having a sense of humor. So, of children who are really young or even even older children, do you think that uh, other parents might have a similar experience that the need to be emotionally present for these children can actually help parents manage
2: our own fears? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you see it all over Facebook, even, you know, parents posting funny things that are going on, things that are making us laugh, things that help us connect to that humor, that allows us to better tolerate pain you know those are really magical moments that we connect to that allow us to just sort of be in this moment with our kids and I think that absolutely the more opportunities we can have to just be in that present present moment is great you know as I was saying my even with my kids everyone is experiencing it very differently so while my daughter, Um, wrote a story about the pandemic. My son, same age, wrote a story about the baby Godzillas. And and I sat there with my daughter and we both listened to him and laughed. And, you know, and that's a really important moment to be able to think about other things and be emotionally present with wherever your kids are. We talk about being the calm in the storm as parents, the anchor in, in the chaos. And so as our kids, or as the world around us gets wrapped into further and further into kind of this chaotic feeling, it is our job as parents to be that anchor, not to join into the chaos, but to provide a safe ground for kids to rest.
1: Thank you so much for all of this insight. Is there anything else that you think you want people to know about anxiety or maintaining mental and emotional health during this time?
2: The, the last thing I would say is just to, just to give yourself grace, just to be kind to yourself right now. It's a, it's a really challenging time and there are a lot of expectations that people are putting on themselves for either, you know, their children's academics or providing you know, for their families or not showing any emotional chinks in the armor. And the reality is, is that it's a difficult time and it's okay, whether in front of your kids or in front of your spouse or, you know, with other family to, to show that and to not have this self-judgment about how I should be handling something. And so, so, in my practice, I talk with people about giving yourself grace to experience this, however you're experiencing it.
1: Thank you very much for, again, for for having this conversation and for uh, devoting so much compassionate thought to helping us face this time constructively.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Abigail. I really enjoyed um, the conversation.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning covenant blog, livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.